Now it's important for us to know that Jesus became a man in the incarnation, but he did not cease to be God. He kept his deity. Whenever he was worshipped in the Gospels, he never rejected it. He went to the man born blind after he'd been cast out of the synagogue and he says, do you believe on the only son of God? And the man born blind said, tell me who he is so that I can believe on him. And Jesus said, I who speak to you now am he. And he fell down and worshipped him. And did Jesus pull him up off his feet and said, don't worship me? No, we see that we we see that in in Revelation when John falls to his face in front of an angel. The angel pulls John to his feet and says, "Don't worship me." But in this case, Jesus accepted the worship. Why? Because he was, is, and always will be the Son of God. Last time we were together and we were on Zoom, so it was not very practical for it to be a discussion. This morning I would like it to be a discussion. And last time we considered the heart of thankfulness that Paul had for the Philippians. He's sitting in the Roman jail and he is writing this epistle to the Philippians And he's thankful for them. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And we know that Paul had a heart of thankfulness for all of the people that he came in contact with. He would often start his epistles in a similar way. So, as I said last time, we considered the heart of thankfulness of the Apostle Paul. And today, we're going to consider Paul's heart for the gospel. Paul's heart for the gospel. Um, Paul lived, ate and, bra- ate, and breathed the gospel after his Damascus experience. Interestingly enough, Paul hated the gospel before that. But he had a zeal that he thought was from God that caused him to persecute those of the way. So, I'm just going to give you a few introductory remarks. What I'm going to do here is for each section of our outline today, um, which I will give you as we go through one on one, one by one, I will try to give a few brief remarks. And then if the men who are here want to give some thoughts, they may stand. We'll have two or three brothers for each one. And we'll try to do this in a judicious, but also in a manner uh, that will bring glory to God and hopefully give us uh, a lot to feed on this afternoon as we consider it uh, going our separate ways. Um, the book of Philippians has always been an important book in my life. When I was about 14, I went to see Dave Dravecki uh, speak, and he was a pitcher with the San Francisco Giants in the 1980s. Um, and he had cancer in his pitching arm and he had his deltoid muscle removed. No one had ever come back to pitching professional baseball after that happened. 
but he rehabbed and uh, you know he wrote a book about how through God's strength he was able to return to what he loved well two starts later he breaks his arm and they find that the cancer has returned well then he lost his arm it was amputated so he had to give up baseball but he began a speaking ministry and I got a chance to go with my dad and hear him speak and give his testimony. And I had a couple of his books and a baseball card that I had him sign. And each one had a ver- different verse on it that he wrote. And one of those was Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And when I read that about Paul talking about it being his earnest expectation that in everything he did, he would glorify God for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. That became the mission statement of my life from being a young teenage boy. Now, the people that know me closest will tell you that I haven't achieved that in perfection, but God is good, is he not? Mm-hmm. And he is long-suffering to us. And so that's just to give you a little bit of personal background about why the book of Philippians is so important to me. So we're going to talk about Paul's heart for the gospel in Philippians chapter 2. Dear Lord, just be with us today as we open your word. Give us your wisdom. Help us to be changed for having spent time with you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first section is the first four verses. And my first point is talking about the unity of the gospel. The unity of the gospel. And we will see here four things that should characterize the Christian because they characterize our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read these first four verses of Philippians chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done, through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So as we consider these four verses, we think about these four things that Paul points out. Um, well, first of all, the first question we should ask is, what is the therefore, therefore? Because when, when the scripture writers say therefore, you know that it's referring to something that was already said. So looking very quickly at Philippians 1, 27 to 30, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict you saw in me and now here to be in me. So Paul is saying, because I said that you need to be an example, such that even if I don't come and see you, I will hear of your good faith 
and rejoice in it. Paul's desire, as with any of us, is to see those he loves face to face, but he knows that that's probably not going to happen since he is sitting in a Roman jail cell. Um, but he says, Therefore, because I, have, because I pointed these things out to you, then you need to have these four characteristics. Consolation in Christ. Comfort. We know that Christ gives us comfort. What did you, what's the first thing that Jesus said to the disciples when he appeared in the upper room? He didn't say, you foolish people. He, do, he does call them foolish at another point. But he doesn't say, first of all, you foolish people, why didn't you believe what I said I was going to do? No, he says, peace be unto you. The next one is, if any comfort of love. What did Jesus say before he went to the cross? He said, love others as I have loved you. And he said that people will know we are Christians if we love one another. The fellowship of the Spirit. We have the unification of the Holy Spirit being the guide of our meeting. And I think the breaking of bread is a perfect example because God will often lead one brother to a passage and then he'll lead another brother to a similar passage and a theme will be established. Now, of course, the overall theme of the breaking of bread is uh, being grateful for the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it could focus on his love It could focus on his mercy. It could focus on his goodness. It could focus on any number of good qualities because the Bible says in Hebrews, he that believeth on him must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. Why does he say that? Because everything good, God is. We are complete in him. And then, of course, if any bowels of mercy, we are to have mercy on one another because Christ had mercy on us. And I really believe, at least for me personally, I'm, and I'm sure it's true for, for you as well, that the key to having mercy on others is thinking about the mercy that God has for us. We look at the cross and we say, I'm not worthy to have the mercy of God, and yet when our brother sins against us, our natural human inclination is to lash out. But as Jesus said, he who is forgiven much, loves much. And I have been forgiven much. And may I never forget that. So, Does anybody have any thoughts on these first four verses? If you do, please just stand like you do in the breaking of bread. It's hard for me to pick out people raising their hands. So if you as a gentleman have a couple thoughts, go ahead and stand. Well, I would say one thing is verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. How do we check our motives? Does anybody have any thoughts on how we can check our motives? 
All right, well, what did Jesus say? He said, abide in me and let my words abide in you and you will have what you will. So if we abide in Christ, then Christ will come out. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we put good things into our hearts, good things can come out when we deal with one another. Okay, well, I have a cross-reference for this section. And as I said, feel free to chime in at any point. um, Because I do feel like Sunday school needs to be interactive. But if one of the gentlemen wants to look up 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9... 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9. Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courageous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So, a couple of things here. First of all, why do you think the Bible says over and over again, be of one mind, be of one accord. It says that the disciples were of one accord in the early days of the early church. I think that's one of the reasons why 3,000 were added to their number daily. Because the people saw from the outside and they said, these people are of one accord. And they're loving each other and they're helping each other. That's what's so laughable in this modern age in which we live is people say, well, Christianity stifles love and tolerance. But the reality is that Christians started the hospitals. Christians worked hard in our history to abolish slavery. Any good thing that happened out of our history is because Christians stood up and said, this is a moral wrong and we will not stand for it. Because Christianity is based on a moral standard and that standard is the word of Almighty God. And as my father just got done saying, if you go without the standard of God, you have nothing. Mm -hmm. It amazes me that Stephen Hawking got up every day for 50 years and sat in a wheelchair and did not see the mercy of God. You know, I have been in this wheelchair for 40, almost 44 years. And every day I see the mercy of God. I see the mercy of God when my brother gets me up out of bed every morning. I see the mercy of God when my dad or my mom or my sister drives me somewhere. I see the mercy of God when my friends make an extra effort to come out and see me or meet me somewhere. All right, well, let's move on to our next section here. Andrew. Yes. Uh, in these verses, I mean, it just... Uh, in the flesh, it's impossible. Absolutely. It's impossible. It, it takes a person... That is one to Christ. It takes a person that realizes that he was bought with a price. It, you know, it takes a person that, that you can, we cannot, I cannot 
look at myself and try to fulfill these things. Absolutely, and none of these things. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. Um, and it's amazing that it's all possible because Christ gives the, uh, the ability to do these things. To be like him. We can't, we can't, uh, we can't live in our, our, our own uh, fleshly ways and fulfill these things. And that's actually a good segue to the next section because Paul is now going to draw on the ultimate example of humility and of service when he talks about Jesus Christ, who is, point two, the focus of the gospel. We talked about the unity of the gospel. Now we're going to talk about the focus of the gospel. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Philippians 2, 5 to 11 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul is talking about the humility that Jesus showed when he went to the cross. Now it's important for us to note that Jesus became a man in the incarnation, but he did not cease to be God. He kept his deity. Whenever he was worshipped in the Gospels, he never rejected it. He went to the man born blind after he'd been cast out of the synagogue and he says, do you believe on the only son of God? And the man born blind said, tell me who he is so that I can believe on him. And Jesus said, I who speak to you now am he. And he fell down and worshipped him. And did Jesus pull him up off his feet and said, don't worship me? No, we see that we we see that in in Revelation when John falls to his face in front of an angel. The angel pulls John to his feet and says, "Don't worship me." But in this case, Jesus accepted the worship. Why? Because he was, is, and always will be the Son of God. That is the foundation of our faith. If somebody claims to be a Christian, but they do not believe that Jesus is the one and only Son of God, reject them. Reject them. There's so much false teaching going on today. We need to be in the Word of God. And it's worth mentioning here again that when counterfeiters are studying to be or when counterfeit experts are studying to be counterfeit experts, they don't spend hours and hours looking at counterfeit bills. They spend hours and hours looking at the genuine article. So when they see a counterfeit bill, they can look at it and say, that's counterfeit. So what do we need to be doing as believers? 
You need to spend hours and hours in the Word. So when someone pulls something out of the Word and makes it their truth, we can say there's only one truth, and that is Jesus. So does anybody have any thoughts on this section? Well, I was uh, brought to mind uh, a couple of verses that came up when um, Dad was sharing from Matthew chapter uh, 7 at the end of when he talks about the wise man and the foolish man. And it says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Where I imagine the scribes would walk around correcting people about, you know, what they were doing wrong in a kind of a haughty manner. But Jesus, he spoke to them humbly, but with authority. And uh, verse 4, it says, look out not for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That the reason that we speak out when we hear wrong theology or doctrine is not because we want to look haughty, look at me, I know more than you do, I look, I study the word, but because we're actually concerned for the eternal souls of those that Amen. Paul said, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Paul preached Christ because hell is a very real place. I was reminded when Matthew was talking about that too, about the other passage where it says the, the leaders were sent to arrest Jesus and bring him in. And they came back without him. And what did, what did they say? They said, why don't you have Jesus? We told you to go arrest him. And they said these words, no man spoke like this man. No man spoke like this man. Andrew, just a comment on the, on the verse, what is it, verse uh, 8 where it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And I was recently listening to a brother who pointed out that the Lord, it's not recorded that the Lord cried when he received any physical abuse, you know, whether it be the, the uh, you know, the beating or the scourging or the spitting on the face or any of that. But yet, when he was in the garden, it says that he prayed in agony. Father, you know, if it's possible, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine. And then also on the cross, it says he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so those are the only two places where there's any record of agony or cry. Well, and so I, my conclusion is that that was more painful than the beating and the scourging to be to be forsaken of God and to 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 think of what it would be for the Father's will to be done, and yet He was obedient even to that point. That actually goes through my mind a lot. How we can read what the Bible says this did for us spiritually, but 
Thanks be to God, we never have to comprehend fully what it means to have God forsake us. Because Jesus said these words for us, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we read the answer in Hebrews chapter 13, For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Isn't that a wonderful truth to hold on to today? I, I, I reflect on that verse a lot, especially when I'm scared. And um, bad weather is something that scares me. But when I go through those times of being scared, I reflect on verses like that. And of course, stories like Jesus being with the disciples in the ship and giving peace to the waves. Can we look really quick before we move on to our next point at 2 Corinthians 8.9? 2 Corinthians 8.9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, I often think about this and when I think about this verse, I think about the fact that he was born to Mary and Joseph who were on the lower end of the income spectrum and he was born and placed in a manger. But do you ever stop to comprehend the fact that the very fact that he became a human, born of a woman, even if he was born into the richest household ever, earthly, he would still be becoming poor for our sake. Mm -hmm. Because the glories of heaven... There's nothing to compare with those. That's why he says in John chapter 17 when he's praying his final prayer to his father. In the presence of the disciples, he says, Lord, restore to me the glory that was mine before the world was. He gave that up for you and for me. And you know what's really Humbling to me is that he took his human body to heaven. He's chosen to inhabit that human body for eternity so that we can look on him one day. We will look on him whom we've pierced. Some portrayals of the passion have talked about his his scars healing. I don't believe those scars are healing. I believe the scriptures tell me that one day I will see the prince of the nails in his hands. And I will see the hole in his side. And I will glorify him for the great sacrifice that he made on my behalf. All right. Our third section um, is Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 18. And in this section we see reminders and exhortations motivated by the gospel. Hmm. Philippians 2, 12 to 18 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse 
nation among whom ye shine as lights of the world. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. <coughs> For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So as we look at this passage, the first thing I see is that Paul says we need to work out our own salvation. Remember in Corinthians, Paul says, I think it's Corinthians, he says, some are of Paul, some say they are of Apollos. But what's the important thing? To be of Christ. Paul says, I can't save you. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you need to obey not for my sake, but for his. Remember what happened to the people of Israel and judges when the when the elders that outlived Joshua died, they forgot God. There arose a generation that forgot God. One of the reasons that I started speaking for him and started my podcast and started speaking all over Michigan and in other areas is because I want to make sure that God is passed on to the next generation. And it only takes one generation for the people to forget. We're seeing so many alternative versions of Christianity today. When I was a kid, I used to always think, well, that comes from without. That comes from without. The people that read scripture, they know. But I've seen so many people use scripture to meet their own means. The devil quoted scripture. Did you know that? In Matthew chapter 4, when he's talking to Jesus, he's quoting scripture. But Jesus, the author of scripture, knew better. And he quoted scripture right back to the devil. And the devil fled. And then the angels came and ministered to Jesus. You think if the very Son of God used scripture to combat the devil, that maybe... That's an idea for us. When you get discouraged, read the scriptures. But you know what? Memorizing the scriptures is even better because you might not always have your Bible with you. But whatever's hidden in your heart will always be with you. Please take this to heart. I speak to myself as well as to others. But does anybody have any thoughts on this section. I always think the uh, in verse 12, the phrase where it says, work out your own salvation. You know, it seems like people take that of, oh, see, so you can work for your salvation then, right? But uh, I think, I think, and from what I can tell, it means to live out your salvation. Now you've been saved. You know, live, live out, now you've been saved, live it with fear and trembling. Live according to God's word. Um, I think the New Living Translation says, uh, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and with and fear. But I think there's been some that have taken to say that take that as a you know works based salvation. Which but I don't think it's saying that at all. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I, I've been in my personal devotions going through Hebrews and listening to a series from 
Alistair Begg, and he was addressing some of the controversial or confusing passages, like in Hebrews 6, where it talks about falling away and not being able to be restored. And one of the things he said was that it's not so much an emphasis on the fact that we need to work hard to continue our salvation. It's that if our salvation is genuine, we will continue. Mm -hmm. I always grieve when people say, well, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm not. And I say to them, but you never understood what it was to be a Christian in the first place. Because, my friends, if I could have lost my salvation as a 12, 13-year-old boy, struggling with bitterness, angry at God for making me disabled, I would have. But I didn't. Because it is God, as it says in verse 13, who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's the one that does the work. I just need to be the willing vessel. Any other thoughts? There's this idea of um, working out. Uh, an exercise is like a continual grind. And it's something that you just have to do. Um, otherwise, you, you atrophy. And, and that's, that's kind of the same idea here. Um, and, uh, you know, like we... I think uh, Martin Luther has a has a saying. It's like you know we're, we're saved by faith alone, but um, saving faith is not often alone. Uh, it's accompanied by evidences and um, uh, yeah, evidences of of that we are new and that we are transformed. And um, ultimately, that idea of fear and trembling. Um, you know, what does it mean to fear the Lord? And that's always been kind of a, a sort of a hard idea for my mind to grasp. But I think in the end, fearing the Lord ulti- ultimately means doing what God says. And that requires us to be in His Word and in communion with Him that his spirit can work in us and um, you know, work, work at our salvation with fear and trembling, um, it's actually ultimately the best, the best path that we have is, is to fear the Lord, to do what he says. And um, you know, perfect love casts out fear. You know, that, that the, the end result <coughs> is a good result. And, and we uh, can enjoy that and, Amen. And I'm not going to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is a good way to wrap up this point. And it basically says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that a much more fulfilling way to live your life than to get to the end of your life and say, I spent 200,000 hours on committees and developing these international organizations, and it means nothing. Paul said, I have kept the faith, I have fought the good fight. May we be able to say that as well. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and end there, and we'll pick up next time I have the opportunity 
to do Sunday school. Doug, did you have a final thought? Well, it just <clears throat> casts out fear. And one the verse there it says um, uh, in verse 15, And among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's one thing about light. It chases away darkness. Darkness doesn't chase away light. If there's light, it it always you can see it. It's always to be seen. And with Christ in our light, you know, people will see it. You know, different levels. But light can't be consumed by darkness. Light it chases away darkness. Yep. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I think that's why you have such an animosity toward anything that has to do with Jesus Christ today. And the fixed moral standard is because Jesus is where the light is. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then when he went to heaven, he said, ye are the light of the world. So it's our responsibility as the world grows darker, not to hang on to our chair until the rapture, although I am looking forward to the rapture because there are going to be no wheelchairs in heaven. And I'd love to go without dying. But I know that as the world gets darker, my responsibility is to shine brighter. Because the only hope is found, as the hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so Father, we just thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you would be with us as we go our separate ways. Bless our goings and help us to be that light wherever we go, whether it be in traffic or whether it be in our place of work or in our homes. We pray that you make us a blessing to someone today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.